Before we start this episode, I want to let you guys know this is going to be a little bit off the beaten path. Um, today we are interviewing a political candidate for state assembly in the second district of California. And if that's not your cup of tea, I understand. It's not really my cup of tea either. But we're doing it today. And um, the interview was actually pretty interesting. I went into this thinking that this Republican candidate was going to be more of a Republican than he turned out to be. And I uh, thought I was really going to be able to hold his feet to the fire on some Liberty stuff. But um, I think Mike is actually a pretty Liberty-minded guy. And he's running for uh, political office in California, which is not easy to do if uh, you are not playing both sides of the table. But he seems to think he's got a chance to win as a liberty-minded candidate, if I can take the liberty to, no pun intended, to say that. So um, I hope you enjoy this, and I hope, uh, you know, if it's your first time listening to the podcast, by the way, this is not what we normally do. And uh, like I said before, it's a little bit off the beaten path, but it was actually kind of fun. So I hope you enjoy it. And as always, please go to libertytreelifestyle.com buy yourself some swag, uh, or check us out on Patreon. The link is in the show notes and become a supporter. Thank you. Also to anyone who's paying attention this week was supposed to be the nine 11 episode. We recorded the nine 11 episode and it's fucking good. I can't wait to release it, but it's not coming out today. So please be patient. We will release it soon hopefully later this week, and you will enjoy it if you are at all curious about September 11th. I think this one was a good one. You ever get the feeling that everything in America is completely fucked up? You know that feeling that the whole country is like one inch away from saying, that's it, forget it. Let's see. Thanks, Mr. Uh, now look, here's a house full of bees. Like you think the honey badger cares? It doesn't give a Listen, shit. Listen, let's get one thing straight. Price is right. Guns don't kill people. Yes, Well, it's one for the money, two for the show, three to get ready. Now go, cat, go, but don't you step on my Michael Greer, welcome to the show. Thank you. Glad to be here. Yeah, we just met about five minutes ago. Uh, and uh, have you listened to our show before? I haven't. Okay, so that intro would be a, a first for you. It is. I recognize many of the different you know, films that you had on there. Yeah, a little clip from uh, Ferndale in there from the movie Outbreak. I don't know if you... Uh, right, very familiar. familiar. With it. Yeah. Absolutely. So usually uh, we, we play an intro and I, I change the music every week. So that was the song Blue Suede Shoes this week. And I usually try to stump Matt when he's here on uh, who the artist was. <laughs> Any guess as to who the artist was in that song? Blue Suede Shoes? Yeah. Wasn't that Elvis Presley? It wasn't. It was the original oh. writer and performer of the song. You know who it was, Jake? No idea. Carl Perkins. Really? Yeah. Okay. Which I wouldn't even know about if it wasn't for the movie uh, Mystery Train, Jim Jarmusch. Did you ever see that? 
where the, there's this uh, Japanese couple come to America to experience, they're like rockabilly kids and they are trying to experience the rockabilly scene in in America and the, and the, the man of the couple is, the, the lady likes Elvis and the man doesn't like Elvis. He's Carl Perkins is his guy. So <laughs> I had to look it up. Yeah, original uh, writer my, and recorder. My daughter would have known. Okay, good. <laughs> <laughs> so Mike is running for the second district California State Assembly seat here in uh, Northern California. Did I say that correctly? That's correct. All right, which spans from, if I'm correct, uh, about where we are here in Sonoma County all the way up to the Oregon border on the west side of the state. That That's correct. Five counties, basically from Highway 12 in Santa Rosa all the way up to the Oregon border. Okay. 300 miles of coastline, about, what, 12,000 square miles, something like that. And about 700 people. <laughs> that's only that's only up north. Yeah, <laughs> right where where we're from, um, Santa Rosa. This must be like the like if you win the Santa Rosa vote, then you're in. You absolutely. Mm-hmm. The there are more votes in Sonoma County, basically Santa Rosa area, uh, than the other counties put together. Really? Yeah. Wow. That's it, so it. It's essential. Do I have to win all the votes? Absolutely not. Mm-hmm. You know, I do know that I have to earn a certain percentage of those votes. Well, you won't, especially after coming on our podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, tell us, tell us why uh, why we should vote for you. Or you. I mean, I assume that's why you're here. You didn't just come to hang I'm a out, ni- because right? I'm a nice guy. No, actually, it's not going to get you I, far. I, I, <laughs> I've had a lot of experience in different areas, and when. Um, Jim Wood decided not to run. I'd actually decided to declare before that because I always feel very strongly that any politician should have somebody running against him mm-hmm. uh, to give the American people a choice. And so when the previous candidate for the Republican Party decided that she wasn't going to run, I said, well, I'm going to go ahead and do it mm-hmm. because somebody has to. And so I decided to. I declared it, uh, and I've been working at that. Uh, since I declared it back in uh, September or thereabouts. Mm-hmm. And as I look at the experiences I've had in the past, they really led it to me to this point. Uh, in fact, when I called my wife up and said, hey, uh, I'm going to run for assembly, she said, it's about time. Okay. Okay. It's good to have your woman's support. <laughs> yeah, because uh, it's something I'd done before. I was first elected as a city councilman when I was 27 years old in Gridley. I'd lived in that town for two years. And just to show you how important a vote is, I won by one vote Wow! on that. And so I went ahead and served uh, for two years on the city council in Gridley till I had to leave because of work uh, places. I had to change locations up to Paradise. Mm -hmm. And so I lived in Paradise for 35 years. I have five kids. Uh, I had to support them, so I had to work quite a bit. I finally decided enough retail work. I actually was a plant foreman and an injection molding. I've had an insurance background mm-hmm. uh, with Prudential Insurance Company. Uh, and I said, I really want to be a teacher. So I went to school. I graduated from Chico State when I was 50 years old <laughs> and started teaching. And that really changed my life because, it, one, it helped me do what I wanted to do what I love doing, what I'm good at. So I became a special education instructor for the 18 to 22-year-old transition group with specializing in, in autism. Okay. You know. Transition group meaning? Transition, 18 to 22. From... It's the last time mm-hmm. that they'll be in public education at this age group. Mm-hmm. This is their last shot they have at learning those skills that they're going to need to be in the real world. Interesting. So you um, left Paradise because of the fire, is that correct? That's correct. What was that like? It, there, there are two sides to it. There was no question the way when the fire came that morning, I was in bed, I smelled smoke. Uh, the year before, we almost lost our house up there uh, with a fire, but the plane dropped a line of retardant in our backyard to prevent that. 
And so this time we thought, yeah, here it is again. Let's pack our bags. Let's get ready to, to evacuate. And as I stepped outside and heard the sirens, and I had a big chunk of, a, you know, an ember fall onto my front steps. I said, oh, oh, this is serious. Yeah. And we lived on the uh, west side of Paradise, so we were able to, to get up fairly fairly easy ourselves. That's closer to the exit. Right, yeah. We ride on the Skyway, which goes down to Chico. Mm -hmm. So we were fortunate that way. You know, so we went ahead. I got my wife up. She says, okay, let's get packed. You know, take the things you need. And so forth. And we did that. Uh, my daughter, on the other hand, she was a teacher of special education at Paradise High School. And so she had to put her kids in her class that were there in her car and drive them through the flames wow. down to Chico with it. But a lot of things happened because I was school board president at that time. I had met the day before with our chief business officer, David McCready, and Tom Taylor, our assistant superintendent. We met together to decide, are we going to have a regular day of school? Because PG&E had informed us that the power was going to be shut off. Mm -hmm. Okay, so the discussion was, are we going to have it or are we not? Um, we decided at that time that we were going to have school, regular day, and then if the power goes off, we'll just bust the kids home because you can't not have school, and this is at 5 o'clock at night, and tell parents in a commuter city, because mm -hmm. everybody commuted to other towns for work, mm -hmm. that they have to find somebody to watch their kids the next day. Right. Okay, it just doesn't work. So we decided to do it that way. Well, that decision we made, and which was also confirmed by our superintendent, saved the lives between 350 and 400 kids. I, yeah, I'm convinced of that. Best decision I ever made because in my life. Because they were at the school. Because they were at the school instead of at home with their siblings watching them. Mm -hmm. Siblings that didn't have a driver's license, mm -hmm. no cars. Mm -hmm. And because we were there and because of the time of the morning, it started at 630. By the time I got to town, it was right around 8 o'clock. And everybody at the schools was having, don't drop your kids off. Just take them out of town. We're evacuating. And so we had kids on our buses. We were filling it up with just residents, whoever we could put on our buses to take them out. And it also saved our buses, which were necessary after the fire in order to go ahead and have school. Mm -hmm. There are a ton of stories of the things that took place, and I learned a lot. And one of the things I really learned after the fire is how important other people are. We were told to do away with our school district and just let all the kids go to schools wherever they happen to go to, whether it was in Oroville, whether it was in Chico, whether it was in Red Bluff. But we decided as a school district that wasn't going to happen. So we had our buses, and we went out and started having school board meetings three days after the fire to say, how are we getting our students back in? Because our kids needed their teachers. They needed their friends. They needed that comfort zone because of the trauma that went on with that fire. Mm -hmm. And so we were able to establish schools in Oroville, Durham, Chico. You know, we had a high school in the mall. You know, we had our elementary school in a hardware store. Okay. And what that taught me is that things can be done. You just have to look at what the issues are and solve the problems. What needs to kids need to be in school? Where can we put them at? How can we do that? And so we went out and did that. And by doing that, that I decision <clears throat> was to. I'm sorry, just to clarify, yes. you you decided to put them in makeshift schools rather than send them to the schools in those same communities. Am I it, understanding that right? In a sense, we actually rented a school from Oroville School District and put our uh, K through probably K through five there, part of them. We put some more over in Durham School District. They had some classrooms, and we put some more, uh, some modular classrooms there. Mm -hmm. uh, we Ace Hardware gave us their building to use, so we converted it to our elementary school. The idea was just to keep to, the to kids together. To get the together. kids together. Mm -hmm. and, and that was what we were really trying to do because we knew we were going to go back and rebuild. Right, right. 
and which they're doing now, which we did do for that year afterwards. We rebuild that school. Mm-hmm. And the decisions and the contacts I made, because I went ahead and lobbied in Sacramento, I lobbied in Washington, D.C., for the money to go ahead and help rebuild our schools. So we spent a lot of time doing that. We were having school board meetings two, sometimes three times a week. We had one school board member that left the state. But it just what it really comes down to is that the situations that I faced there really taught me the process that's needed to solve problems with people, all different types of people. Who's your opponent in this race? I have uh, five or six of them. Oh, okay. <laughs> Actually, I am the only Republican. Uh, you have Rusty Hicks, who is the Democrat Party chair. Jake, will you pull up? Sorry to interrupt you, but real quick, just the uh, Wikipedia on the second assembly district in California, because I want to see what the history is. Like, as a Republican, you know, what? how many Republicans? I remember looking at it this morning. I think I saw that there was, uh, you wouldn't be the first Republican to uh, hold this office, right? Or am I wrong about well, that? Well, back in 2012, they did the redistricting. When they redistrict the whole area, Okay. then it became, the Democrats were winning because they redistricted the Santa Rosa area into what the others were back with the val over in the valley with the Chico and so forth. So Santa Rosa didn't used to be a part of the no. ah okay no, no. gerrymandering going on there huh just, just a little bit you know <laughs> and but so ours is straight up the coast with it. All right, so you're so you're running against four. I'm, I'm running against Rusty Hicks. Uh, I'm running against Ariel Kelly, Mayor Healdsburg. You got Chris Rogers, who is the mayor here in, in Santa Rosa. Mm-hmm. You got Frankie Myers, who's the vice chair of the Euro Tribe. Mm-hmm. Uh, you got Ted Williams, a supervisor, and those are the ones that are running right now. We had one candidate that did drop out mm-hmm. at the last uh, forum in Fort Bragg. Okay, so you're running as a Republican. I want to know from your because running as a Republican in this. Uh, district obviously there's a reason why you have five democrat opponents right that's likely going to be who's going to win what is your what is the difference and this is a uh, philosophical question probably more than anything but it maybe it's specific to california politics what is your definition what is the difference in your mind between republicans and democrats i think we all want to accomplish the same thing but we have vastly different ways of doing it and I think especially you'll say, yeah, I'm running against five Democrats, but I believe that I can actually win, even though, you know, there are so many, because one is they're going to be splitting their vote, okay? Because uh, you have, you know, four of them, very good candidates. Mm-hmm. You have Rusty Hicks, who moved up here two years ago mm-hmm. after he found out Jim Wood was not going to be running. So it's not... Uh, there's not like a primary for to there's take a primary the Democrat there's, and you're going to be running against the Democrat or? for the primary March 5th is the primary mm-hmm. all six of us well actually there's still seven because she's still on the ballot to the other candidate that dropped out mm-hmm. and so yes that's basically so they'll be fighting over the votes and you look at the votes down here the Democrat votes you know you got the Mary of Hillsburg you know you got how does what is the process so what happens during the primary during the primary, the top two vote-getters go into the general election in I November. See. Okay. And right now, as you look at the Republican votes, the Democrat votes, Republicans generally get between th- around 30% of the vote. Mm-hmm. Okay? And I feel very strongly that if I get 30% of the vote, mm-hmm. it'll put me into the primary. You'll be in the top two. But that's not where I want to be. I want to get closer to 40% of the vote. Okay. I know that I have to have 15% of the Democrat vote mm-hmm. in order to win. Okay. And the way I'm going to address that by is being a Democrat. By no, absolutely <laughs> not. Because most a lot of Democrats now because of the situation, I mean we're throwing billions of dollars you know, at homelessness, billions of dollars at education, mm-hmm. you know, billions of dollars at, you know, affordable housing. And where are we at? We're getting more homelessness, we're get ten, thir- less affordable housing, and dumber kids. You got it. Yeah, we do. We got kids that can't read and write. Why do you think that is? 
Why do you think it is that the more money we spend on these problems, the more we get of those problems? Because we're not following up where that money's going and what the results are. And that's what we're having. You know, you can take uh, any of these projects, you know, whether it's mental you know, health, mental illness, doesn't make a difference. We're not following that money to see if it's being effective. We're sending a lot of it to nonprofits. Mm-hmm. And those nonprofits, it's almost like a money laundering scheme. It's almost like that, isn't it? It is because it goes from one nonprofit where someone might be on the board, goes to the next nonprofit, mm-hmm. then their I'm- friends are on the board, and then it comes back around. And we don't have control of what's being good. We need to look at the programs that are working, support those programs, and do away with the others. And that will save us money. And it's the same thing in education. You look at education. We need to revamp the way that education is financed. We need to tweak it a little bit. We need to go ahead and have certain things. One of the first bills I would do is to go ahead and do a reciprocal agreements with the surrounding states that if there's a teacher in another state that wants to work in California and teach here, they should be able to come and do it if they're certificated. Mm-hmm. Well, they can, but then they have to take other classes mm-hmm. for the state. You know, right, so you should be introducing have a little bit more competition into the, the teaching market. It should be. Yeah. It should be. Competition makes things better. Okay. I agree with you on that. And I'm, I also believe in school choice. Okay. I guess I should say this. Not only was I a teacher, I was also a union president for California Teachers Association. Over, uh, I had 96 special education specialists in my union in Yuba City. I was also a service center chair over a five-county area for California Teachers Association over uh, Calusa, Sutter, Yuba, Nevada, and Sierra County Mm -hmm. to help with the training, you know, and the governance of those unions of approximately 30-some-odd unions. Mm -hmm. So I've been very involved in CTA, but some things need to change. Yeah, it's shocking when you learn that private schools actually cost less to educate one student than a public school does. And, uh, you know, it's no it's no, no shock to everyone that private schools do a hell of a lot better job teaching kids than, than public schools. They do, and they get... And I don't know that it's so much the money part of it. I think... Well, they spend less money, so they, they, it can't be... They, I mean, if, if that turned out do. to be the case... They then, do, but in some of the public schools we need to follow the money trail because there are some bad charter schools but there are some super good ones okay Mm -hmm. let's just follow the law what about bad teachers as a union president yeah i got rid of bad teachers out of my union i didn't want that how does that work i thought the uh, teachers union were the reason we couldn't get rid of bad teachers it's not true okay okay k through 12 has a due process follow that process do that evaluation Give them, just follow the process. I did it as a school board member in Paradise. I did it as a union president for CTA because I followed the process. Unfortunately, a lot of administrators don't follow the process. Why is that? They don't want to? Some of them don't want to. It can be, it takes a little bit of time to do it. And I had one teacher that I went through the process three times. And I could not get the administration to get rid of that teacher. But we went through it three times and still didn't do a very good job. Okay. So, but you have to stick with it. Mm -hmm. And it's not a tenure thing. It's simply follow the due process. And so many don't follow all the way through. Hmm. And you talk to the union president down here, they'll tell you the same thing. You talk to a union president in Southern California, they'll tell you the same thing. It's a due process system. Follow it. And you can get rid of bad teachers. So you, because we hear all the time that you can't get rid of teachers. It's like impossible. Or government employees, you know, at large for that matter. It's much it's more difficult with government. Well, I mean, teachers, teachers, are, teachers government. are government employees, but it's much more difficult in other areas. Because in our union contracts, we have a due process with that. And so all we have to do is follow that process. Is, is it laborious? Sometimes it is. Mm-hmm. And sometimes they don't have time, so they'll just kind of ignore it. Unfortunately, a bad teacher means you have students that are missing out on their education. Mm-hmm. Those teachers need to go. Yeah. Well, we actually, CTA actually pushed to speed that process up. So you said you are in favor of uh, school choice? Absolutely. Okay. K 
kids learn at different ways, you know, some are more hands-on, whatever, different ways to teach. And every student is different. And you need to go ahead and teach to their strengths to build up their weaknesses. Where are you on, or were you, I guess, as the case would be, uh, on the lockdowns in California? You're talking about during COVID, the COVID lockdowns of schools. Shut base. I'm ma mainly shutting schools down during COVID. I actually spoke at a school board meetings against it. Mm -hmm. um, some of the people over and because it was just paradise there, they didn't really appreciate me when they start coming out with some of the things because I was you were saying because I, I was against it. Yeah. You know, if, if someone is sick, that's fine. But I also, you know, believe if you're going to believe the science, the science says you get a vaccine, you won't ever catch it. And what did we see? We saw people getting vaccine and they still caught it, mm -hmm. you know, and stuff. And so to me, it was a lot had to do with money. Yeah. Okay. And separating people. And because it was also a presidential election mm -hmm. time. And I think a lot of it was political. Now, are there people that died? Absolutely. Because of it, you know, what's the money part that you're referring to? And are you talking about specifically with I, schools? I think the money part isn't so much with the schools. Is it with the pharmaceuticals? Sure. And it's still the same thing. You still see it on commercials today. Right. Take this. It'll make it COVID, you know, get over it quicker. Mm -hmm. you know? And it's not free. Everybody thought, okay, we're going to get this vaccine. So they're going to be free. No, they're not free. I have never yet seen how much it costs the United States to give a shot of what the pharmaceuticals charged us. Well, they are reporting record profits, so I'm going to go with you're probably right that it wasn't free. Yeah. Oh, no Those question. Profits came no qu from and it, somewhere. It, yeah, it came from the taxpayers. Yeah. It's that simple. It came from the taxpayers. You can't follow it because, it, you know, we, we know they do. Yeah. You know, that's what it is, and it goes on. It always has been. So safe to say if we were presented with that same situation again, you would be opposed to keeping kids out of school. I would be opposed to it. Down. Absolutely, I would, because there's too much the kids leave. It's just not the academics. We have seen since COVID in the schools the disruptions in the classrooms now compared to what it was prior to COVID. It's because you had a group of kids that spent two years yeah. almost shut down, and they didn't learn how to act appropriately or learning. When you're at home, they get on the computer, and I had to, I was actually teaching in Crescent City at that time. As soon as I moved to Crescent City, I got hired. They needed a special education teacher, and so I went to work for them as a long-term substitute. Two weeks later, they shut down for COVID, kept me on to do um, Zoom process with my students. Well, my students are special education and resource kids. You cannot teach special education through Zoom. I don't care what they say, but the fact is you can't do it. I mean, you could barely teach exactly. adults um, that are in college yeah. through Zoom. So it, yeah. That's exactly it. That's but yet they want us to do it. So Yeah, and so it wasn't only the lack of education that they were getting, but it was the lack of social norms, how you should act around people, how you should act in a classroom. And that's what teachers are fighting right now. As a school board meeting, I, I visited about anywhere from 50 to 70 classrooms a month, okay? And not just, you know, in Crescent City. If I'm someplace traveling, if a school's open, I kind of like to go by and say, hey, you know, I'm a school board. I'd like to see what you're doing. Mm -hmm. And so that's what I've, I've always done that. That's so, quite a privilege considering uh, the parents were not allowed to look in on the Zoom calls during their, uh, their kids' well, distance learning <laughs> of COVID. That, that, some of them weren't. But they could, but what they found out, a lot of times the parents weren't there, and a lot of time in certain areas, especially the rural areas, you didn't have consistent internet to be able to do it. Mm -hmm. You didn't have consistent follow-up. Mm -hmm. I actually broke the rules, I guess you could say, because I was told not to take papers to their homes, but I did, because that's how they learned. Mm -hmm. So I actually took work, you know, work home, and then I would pick it up the next week. So we would do those things. Schools went ahead and did different things uh, in different ways to help that education, but it didn't matter what it was. There was none that I'm aware of that improved the education. Mm -hmm. 
Um, so let me ask you this. We, Liberty Tree is the name of our podcast right. and our organization, I mm-hmm. guess. Um, we sell merchandise, libertytreelifestyle.com, much like the shirt that I'm wearing today. We're into guns. Um, we're, we're into liberty and trees, I guess. Um, but m- mostly liberty. And the last three years, four years, have taught us that living in California is a liability when it comes to liberty. In fact, that's kind of the what spawned this this podcast, right? It's a big deal for us. And um, it feels like our governor is about as opposed to liberty as a governor could be, as someone in power. You know, there's not many leaders in the world that are m- threatening um, the status quo of, of free people as heavily, in my opinion, as Gavin Newsom is. And so I wanted, I'm curious where you are on, well, like, for example, Santa Rosa, where we are today, has passed laws that you can no longer install gas stoves in your home on a new new construction, which is in the name of climate change, even though the gas that we're using is the thing that has probably reduced America's carbon emissions, if you actually care about such things, more than any other technology has. And yet here we are banning it for, in my, the way I see it, no good reason at all. And that's just one example of, you know, this like creep that just keeps happening on people's liberty. Um, and it doesn't seem like anyone around here really cares too much about that. You know, it's, it, it passed in Santa Rosa because people in Santa Rosa want to help the environment. They don't put two seconds of thought into it or actually research the, the effects of these policies. Um, but it happens to be aligned with this tyrannical governor that we have and all of his dumb ideas. And, uh, you know, if you're speaking directly to our liberty-minded um, audience, you know, what would you say about that, about our fears of how our liberty is just being chopped away bit by bit? We're living the Hunger Games. That's what we're living. If you look at the Hunger Games and look what took place there. Okay, as our President Snow put mandate after mandate after mandate mm-hmm. on the different districts. That's what's happening here. It's happening on our coast with yeah. the fisheries. That's right. Mandate, mandate, mandate. You can't go fish for rock bottom fish because the quillback mm-hmm. is there. And how did they find that out? Because they went someplace on the sand to find a quillback where they don't even live right. instead of in the rocks. So they shut everything down with it. I don't like the mandates. I, I agree with you that liberties are, are going away. I'm one of those. I'm the only candidate that's not in favor of the windmills out on the ocean Mm -hmm. uh, simply because we don't know what's going to happen to the sea life. So you got environmentalists saying, oh, we need this for, you know, green energy. So let's put the windmills out here, but they don't say anything about the whales and all, you know, the sea life, you know, and the Pacific flyway where all the birds go, that's going to go through those windmills. Mm -hmm. They don't bring up the fact that, okay, we don't have the infrastructure in California. Well, not to mention that we're being forced to adopt these things. We're, we're there is not to. a free market that is demanding them and asking for windmills that people actually want. There's no companies that are, there's no entrepreneur in the world that is going to get involved in that boondoggle of putting windmills out in the ocean. The only reason that's even possible is because you can force Californians to pay for it. Well, it's the same thing out there. What's happening is. The corporate we're subsidizing all the corporations. Mm-hmm. Okay, they get subsidized. Right. It's not a free. Market. It's not free. Yeah, and I'm against subsidizing corporations. You know, uh, companies, unless they have something in the contract says you're going to pay that money back. But we're subsidizing everything, whether it's EV, you know, vehicles doesn't make any difference. Mm-hmm. We're subsidizing it. I believe in technology. But we need to do that transition from fossil fuels through there when we're able to do it at a rate that everybody, because everything they're doing on climate change is hurting the people that they're saying they're protecting. It's those low income Mm -hmm. that are hurting. It's that middle income. 
in Santa Rosa for the example that yep. I used about the the stove. Absolutely. All of the new construction is happening in low income housing. I mean, you look around Santa Rosa, it's yeah, just it one is. apartment building after another being erected. None of those are going to have gas stoves in it. Meanwhile, people that can afford it are building if they're building a new home, they're probably tearing down an old home, leaving one wall up and they're going to remodel it air quotes and they're going to have their gas appliances or they're not going to build in Santa Rosa. They're going to yeah. build in Healdsburg or Sonoma, a place where they can do these gas stoves. So the only people that are really being deprived of being able to cook with gas are poor people. And more people are going to be poor because of the electrical costs that are going up, which is just skyrocketing. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so they're putting in electric stoves. We don't have the electricity to support all of that. Mm -hmm. And then they expect, you know, the prices stay low. Get a grip. Yeah. Those prices are going to go sky high. Okay. They've gone up 117% in the last 10 years. Do you know anything about the proposal from PG&E to – maybe you could uh, see if this is a thing, Jake. Uh, PG&E is proposing a sliding scale on energy costs where the more money you make, the more that you have to pay for your power. You heard of that? Yeah. Oh yeah. I've heard about it. I, I'm one of those individuals that with power companies, because we subsidize them so much, especially PG and E, they did not maintain everything that they had, that they were supposed to, whether it's the hydro, you know, hydro dams for power mm -hmm. or whether it's the transmission lines, they right. didn't do it. They put it into profits instead of taking care of the business. Now they have to raise their rates and what they want to do is go ahead and have the higher wage earner subsidize the lower ones. Right. Okay. doesn't matter how much power you use. You're going to, you know, you're going to be, you know, penalized for that. And, yeah, and I disagree with what they're doing, uh, but you're going to find out that it's not going to stop them, you know, the, from poor being poor. It's not going to stop us from mid being middle class. What they want to do is make sure they get their money, and because of the connections between the California governor and the legislature and the Democrats, is who appoints those people on that commission that authorizes this? They do. They thought they were doing a really great job saying, oh, we're not going to authorize a 28% increase, so we'll just do a 13% increase. Right. Okay. Is there something funny going on? Yeah. PG&E needs, needs to be investigated. Yeah. An increase for a private, I'm using my air quotes again, a private business, PG&E. A private business that you're forced to, you know, when people complain about monopolies, they can't actually point to a real monopoly, but I can PG&E is a monopoly, but it's not a monopoly created by capitalism. It's a monopoly created by the state of California. It, it is because of the regulations and that they have to follow and so forth. I'm fortunate I don't have PG&E up in Crescent City, okay? We have Pacific Power, mm -hmm. and I'm very pleased with Pacific Power. Do I still get the rate increases? Absolutely. They get the same ones that PG&E have. Yes. But I get the service, and I see what they're doing. Okay. You're just on the tra tailing end. That's yeah. that's the reason why it's good. It's not good because exactly. you guys have a magical free market for energy. Exactly. Here. No. But see, when I was a city councilman in Gridley, I was actually on – we had our own utility company, our own power company, very much like Healdsburg. Mm -hmm. And I was the representative at that time to the power consortium that we had. And we were using, uh, you know, the steam power over there on the geysers. We had a, a power plant over there. We need to be able to – let local groups, cities, communities, or counties come in with their own microgrids to be able to take care of it. So you don't have one, something that can be, I believe, in local control. So would that, would it, would it be correct to say that you're in favor of deregulating the energy to a degree. cartel in California? To, to a degree, and the reason I say that, a lot of times you deregulate it, then the prices are going to go sky high. Mm -hmm. So it has to be, you can't be just a straight deregulation. You have to take a look at different things on how to go about it with it, different laws, different regulations. We already have too many regulations on a lot of things, but we need to be careful of the ones we do so that we don't have to suffer those unintentional consequences what the Democrats have put us into right now. 
with our, you know, like I say, loss of liberty, you know, all the different things. I was going to rebuild in paradise, but because of all the state regulations, I couldn't do it. Mm-hmm. Okay. When I have to put a sprinkler system in my kitchen, okay, I, my trees have to be a certain height. Yeah. I mean, I understand some things for wildfire, but it's just like when you talk about it, the governor in his budget, $68 billion deficit that he reduced to 37 by a couple ways, pulling out of the rainy day fund, which was there for that, and then delaying payments. One of the things he delayed payment on is wildfire protection. Mm-hmm. And they do it. So he just said, no, we're not going to give you that besides not paying, you know, delaying the maintenance for schools, buildings, and so forth. So you really have to look at what regulations you're putting in place and take a look down the road of what are the unintentional consequences. They don't look at that. They are reactive and not proactive. What about the unintentional, unintentional consequence of uh, – because we used to live in a, a state that was far less regulated, right? Yes, what were the chances that that state was going to turn into the state that it is today being super heavily regulated versus even less regulated? Have you ever seen a situation where the regulations go the other direction? It doesn't exist, right? It always goes more. You need a new law and then a new law on top of that law and then another law on top of that law. It makes me think because we, we are essentially anarchists on this podcast. We don't believe that the state should exist at all, right? But it does, and we're not we're not living in a, a fairy tale, right? We we vote, yeah. for example, um, but it's just that it's it's hard to ignore the fact that um, once a state has control, that control is a ratchet that creates more and more and more control, and never goes in the opposite direction. You can't undo it, right? You're only going to get more and more regulation, right? Would you agree with that? Uh, oh, absolutely. I'm going to agree. That's very difficult. It's just like with the uh, crime going up with the Prop 47. Okay. What, safe, what Prop 47? Safe Schools Act. Is that the one they're trying to uh, put into place now with that's the bringing one the cops t- back into the schools? Abs- well, that's the one that's going to say, okay, uh, we're going to take away that $950 limit that you can go steal and not be punished for. It's the one that reduced serious felonies to misdemeanors. Oh, okay. Okay. Right, and then right. they said, oh, it's for safe schools. Had nothing to do with safe schools. Very little to do with safe schools. They called that the Safe School Act? That's correct. That's why it passed. The Attorney General takes a look at something and says, okay, what can we name this proposition that the voters will vote for it? Oh, everybody will vote for safe schools. And then they throw in all this other garbage. Yeah, they're good at that. Yeah, and that's exactly what happens. Now, how do you get rid of that? Well, that's one way. They're actually trying to do it. The Democrats in the legislature have turned down some bills that have been authored to redo that proposition. Not completely throw it out, but just to redo it. A lot of our things need to be redone. Quit writing so many damn bills. Okay? How do you sell that to, like, because in Santa Rosa right now, you know that thing, Jake, that James keeps sending us about... um making schools safe in in Sonoma County where they got the all they used to have a cop station at every school right resource officer they got rid of that yes and now they're trying to bring it back yes um and so it seems like you know th- i mean that seems logical but it's like why did you get rid of them in the first place but it's an issue here how do you how do you get people in Santa Rosa to agree with you on on a crime issue like that, that's, you know, I guess for lack of a better term, a, a bleeding heart kind of it, issue where we want to stop prosecuting these poor people for just, you know, they're just, they're just robbing so they can feed their families, Mike. Yeah. Well, yeah, right. That's exactly, that's why they have 15 pairs of Nike shoes, <laughs> you know? Uh, no, we, we have to do something. People are getting fed up. As I go door to door, talking to people, it's amazing how many people agree with me, how many Democrats agree with me. Is that right? They're getting tired of all the mandates. They're getting tired of crime. They're getting tired of having to walk across the body to go into a store. So what do they do? They don't go into the store. So that business now suffers. Sure. Okay, so we're seeing that. And in schools, the schools that I've been school board on, we've had resource officers. We've had no problem. You had a tight group of people very vocal people that says, let's take them all out. Let's reimagine police. I say, let's reimagine, you know, police by refunding them, doing it. Give additional funds so that we can have a resource officer 
at the school. A resource officer in most schools, does a, they do a great job, okay, because the kids relate to them. They see that, and it cuts down on the crime. I was meeting with uh, some teachers in this, this area not long ago. I heard them speak, and we happened to be one of the teachers from the school where the uh, student was stabbed. It says, we have to do something about safety. Mm-hmm. And it was brought up for a while. We bring back, you know, a resource officer. No, we can't have police. Well, what the heck do you want? Give us a solution then. All they're doing is complaining about it, whether it's the, um, and the union's not going to like me for this, but whether it's the union leadership that's complaining about not being safe, but they're not putting forth any kind of ways to do it except restorative justice. And I'm sorry, if you have a bully in high school that's been bullying a student, and you're going to sit down and say, apologize, please. And that's going to take care of the problem? No, it doesn't take care of the problem. We have a gang issue in Santa Rosa that's invading our schools. And that's not going to go away until we get some resource officers. Resource officer is completely different from a police officer. In the sense that, are they armed and so forth? Yes, but they have certain training that they can deal with students And students, in my experience, in the schools that I've been associated with, they've been very effective at keeping, you know, discipline, keeping crime down and making the kids safer. And people are starting to realize that. Well, yeah, that guy has a gun and you can't really trump that with your, you know, your violence in the school. I mean, you could, I guess, but thankfully we're not at that point in public schools yet. Um. Where are you on firearms? Well, I am a lifetime member of NRA. I'm a Golden Eagle member. I have firearms. Um, I hate it when I have to go show an ID to buy ammunition. Uh, I basically back the NRA platform mm-hmm. that we should be able to do it simply because it's, you know, as I've even said, you heard it on one of your things. Guns don't kill people. People kill people. Mm-hmm. We need to, and this is the problem, not just with guns or anything else. We need to hold people accountable for their actions, whether it's in school, whether it's in the community, or whether it's in the legislature. We need to hold people accountable. And that's where I'm at with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have guns. I gave membership then already to my son. Uh, yeah, I, I support the Second Amendment. Okay. Fullheartedly. Would you agree with the statement that an armed society is a polite society? An armed society will go ahead and make people safe. It's it's that simple. Period. End of story. You know, I agree. You know, and, and that's just the way it is. Mm-hmm. And the more they're going to limit it, it's just like the you know bill where you can't carry a gun here, you can't carry a gun there. You know, you have to have an additional training for you know concealed carry that they want to do. You know, with SB2, okay, you know, concealed carry, you already have training. Right. It's already there. Right. And people are talking like, well, it's not there. It is there. You know, and so, no, I am very much a a opponent of, you know, of, of guns, safety, you know, do I have locks on my guns? Yes, I do. I don't like the idea that they're trying to make it that the schools need to do a survey to find out what families have guns and whether they're locked or not and what they're in. I don't like the idea that they're telling us if you don't have them in a proper, uh, you know, safe that's been okayed by the state of California, you're breaking the law. But all these things are bills that are being passed in California. Mm-hmm. We, we discussed it the other day at a forum. I says, no, I am NRA. That's who I am. I believe in the Second Amendment. And you're trying to take away the guns step by step by step. I believe they are. I think that is the goal. And I think... And I will speak against it. (laughs) They haven't been shy about sharing that. No, neither have I. Um, It's funny because I think that when we started this podcast, a lot of these opinions that you seem to share with us, um, we were not very popular around here. We've definitely lost friends over this podcast and these ideas because God forbid we have different ideas than people that we are around. Um, 
And I'm just curious, knowing that, uh, how you expect, and I'm uh, honestly, I thought you would be a little bit more um, middle of the road than you are. <laughs> Just kind of given your who you're running against, the area that you're running, your 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 history with unions and and teachers union, and um, I'm just you know, is it realistic to think that the people around here are going to support these ideas, and you're not going to lose friends? <laughs> you know, my beliefs are my beliefs. I respect other people's beliefs and their thoughts. Radical. They, they can do what He's they a want. radical. Okay, <laughs> and I am going to go ahead and do it, and that's the way I feel. That's why I was brought up. I'm not going to give you a spiel that I don't believe in. You know, I'm not going to shortchange it. You know, I do the same thing at the forums. This is who I am. This is what I represent. And if you don't like the things I represent, then vote for somebody else, but continue to pay the high prices, continue to have, you know, not be safe in your homes, not be safe in school, not be safe on the street. Go ahead and continue to do that. If you want to continue to do the things that aren't working, then doggone it, vote for one of them. That's a message I can support, sir. <laughs> yeah, I couldn't have said it better myself. Um, Jake, am I leaving anything out? Uh, I'm enjoying this. This is really insightful. Um, I think some broad brushstroke questions. You know, what what do you hope to achieve? What's the number one challenge you perceive? Should you be uh, awarded the opportunity? What sort of legacy? would you like to leave behind or what's, you know, aside from everything we've already touched on, like what's the big picture idea? Uh, I think the thing really what I look at is very much what, what you do, and this is what I espouse to everybody, is the freedom and liberty. Do I have a legacy I want to leave? You know, if I happen to be elected, I'm not looking at a legacy. You know, I really don't care about a legacy. I'm concerned about doing what's right now, what it takes to make people happy, what it takes to make people safe, what it takes to make us independent thinkers, someone that will actually go ahead and think about what's going on. Now, are there challenges? You bet. There's all kinds of challenges that we have to face. You know, the water crisis that we have now, part of that's brought on. Why? Because the state has not taken care of its infrastructure. Mm -hmm. They haven't done it for years. It doesn't matter. You know, the water crisis down here in San Rose, it's going to be huge. You think you're paying a lot for power now? You wait till you have to start paying a lot for the water that's going to come through. Because the state, LAO, has already told us, their, their report came out and said, you could lose 30% of your water under new state regulations. Anywhere from 10 to 30%, they're saying, that you're going to do that. They just agreed with a $20 billion project to put a tunnel, you know, under the Delta area to take our water up north and send it down to L.A. Well, why not take our water up north and send it over here? Mm -hmm. If they're going to build that kind of tunnel, that kind of money, why can't they go ahead and build a pipeline over to here? Okay. Instead of destroying the Delta area. Your environmentalists and climates are going against each other. So that's one issue that needs to be taken care of. And I think education, needless to say in Santa Rosa, it's huge wherever you're at. You've got a lot of people. You've got a group here in town, you know, that stand up for kids, you know, that's working to go ahead and change things in the school system. And it can be done, but it's going to take people to do it. People are starting to get fed up with the taxes, you know, with the mandates, because it is becoming like the Hunger Games. I also think that some of the other things that, that are happening that, that I'm concerned with, a big thing is the um, they're really pushing single-payer health insurance. It's huge. Mm -hmm. Okay. And, again, I'm the only one of the candidates that, no, you know, it's it can't work right now. You know, one is you don't have anybody to, to be there for health. Health issues are a big thing. I don't even have an eye doctor up there in Crescent City because we don't have ophthalmologists. We don't have the personnel and the people and the workers because people are leaving the state. They don't want to be here. Okay, so we're seeing that happen. So we need to take a look at why. What can we do to bring them back? Okay, housing is a huge issue. Affordable housing. Why is housing so expensive? It's because of all the regulation, all the mandates. Amen. Whether it's the stoves that, are, that you have to have, get rid of this, get rid of that. You know, it's the mandates coming out of Sacramento. 
And it's the fishing closures. It's the mandates coming out of Sacramento that's killing off Fort Bragg, killing off Crescent City, you know, killing the industry, generations. Why do you, why do you think people just keep voting for that? It's obvious, right? Isn't it obvious to everyone that you're you're getting exactly what you voted for and it's ruining California and that's why people are leaving and that's why you can't build anything here that's why you can't cook with gas anymore I mean what is your opinion I mean don't how do people not wake up to this people are easily led and that's what's happening why is because they're being told and they have over the last you know 10 years to hope and dream mm-hmm and that's exactly all there is when you talk about the Democrat Party. Hmm. They hope and dream, but they have no action. The action they do have makes it worse. They can't talk about their issues. They can't talk about their policies. All they can talk about are their hopes and dreams. We need to look at the policies. And until those policies are brought out and people realize that they that's what affects them, it's not going to happen. The people that I've talked to that are Democrat, or no party preference, when they look and see what's happening to their own lives, because it's really, I'm looking to change this not into a Republican, Democrat race. It needs to be a quality of life race. That's what it needs to be. And that's what I'm going to be striving to do is the quality of life. What type of quality do you want? Do you want a paycheck to paycheck well, I talked to a lady yesterday. She says, this is what we're doing. I give you money, but I can't donate to you because we're living paycheck to paycheck because the rents are so high, especially in Santa Rosa. Mm-hmm. Third, you know, what, third highest city in the Bay Area for, you know, cost of living? I mean, it's, it's outrageous, yeah. you know, and so forth. And your businesses, if they don't get the water straightened out, your, you know, your vineyards are going to be gone. So you have all these things that are happening, and small business is taking the brunt of it. And that's going to be one of my major things is to get rid of these regulations of small business. You go ahead and say, okay, you can have $20 an hour at McDonald's. Well, that $20 an hour does a couple things. One, we have a McDonald's now in Crescent City. That's not hiring any more people. Everything has to be kiosk. Go up there and punch it in. Machine. So you get machine. So you get fewer employees mm-hmm. okay you go to a small business that can't do that they don't have to pay that money but then you have the statutories that go on top of it another 30 percent for unemployment insurance for workman's comp insurance okay for social security that's they have to keep paying all these things are costing the small business but yet the state keeps demanding that the owner of the business take less money to live on to give to the employees well, they're not hiring them. Why don't we have a work ethic with our young people anymore? Why isn't it there? They don't get the opportunity to work because the jobs aren't there right. because no one wants to pay them and hire them. Yeah, no one's going to pay a 16-year-old 20 bucks an hour That's it. You know, burgers. I'll, I'll tell you the truth. I'll pay them $20 an hour if they'll come and work in my yard. It's, <laughs> it's gotten to that point. But, but you I can't do, find them. Fact. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and that's happened because of mandates from the state, and it's – like I said, every time I think about all these things, I think of the Hunger Games. If you read that Hunger Games, it tells you exactly where we're heading and exactly what we're doing right now. Well, I appreciate you coming by, Mike. I, I appreciate the opportunity. Yeah. I don't always get to vent like this. They, they leave me up to one minute or two minutes to do it. It's hard to get it in. Well, if you got more to say, you don't have to let it go <laughs> right now. But, no, thank you very much uh, for coming by, and I, uh, I wish you luck. Hey. I ask for your, your listeners to support me. All right. You know, not not only, you know, at the voting box, go to my website. What's the website? It's Mike Greer Assembly 2024. Go to that website, and right up in the corner it says donate. I've got these people are spending $700,000 on the primary. I'm never going to raise that much money, but I do need to raise money because it costs me a lot. To go ahead and travel. Yeah. Okay. Signs. It cost me over $7,000 just to put my name in the voter pamphlet book so people know who I am. Okay. So all that comes up, and I really do need that help. It costs, you know, like, say, for radio commercials that I'm going to have to be buying. Right. You know, because that's the only way we can reach all the people in this area. 
with it. And so those things do. We'll be looking forward to putting out some video on Facebook to go ahead and take a look at that, to do it, because I need those donations. Sure. And I'm one that's going to back the same principles that you're talking about. Because I'm, you're the type of people I want on my side. Yeah, it sounds like we align on a lot of we things. We do. So, Absolutely. Yeah. If, uh, <clears throat> if you guys listening have any money left over after supporting Liberty Tree <laughs> podcast please donate uh go to mike's website and if you want to if you want to support him yeah go to his uh mike greer assembly 2024.com and ship in thank you sir appreciate it you can do anything for me off of my blue suede shoes Thing that you wanna do, but uh uh-uh, uh, honey, lay her for them shoes.